Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 332, where we discuss three different ways to handle couples' finances with Doug Cunnington and Carl Jensen from the Mile High Five Podcast. I think it's uh, very personal, and every everyone's relationship is different. And you know, we we have our various issues, communication, uh, trust with finances, and all that stuff. We have figured out how to get to a spot where we feel pretty good. Finances are one of the the biggest issues that we have to figure out. And if there's discrepancies or like if you're moving in different directions, it could be extremely challenging. So, you know, everyone do do your best and, uh, you know, good luck. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me today is my favorite Marine, David Perret. It's not saying much, but I appreciate it. (laughs) I know like three more Marines. Yeah, but I mean, it's John. Like, that's who we're comparing me to. And... (laughs) That's easy. To, okay. I don't, I, he doesn't listen to the show enough for me to talk smack. I'm going to make him listen to this episode. Today is my least favorite Marine, David Perret. How about that? I'll take it. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. David and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams. David, today we are joined by Doug Cunnington and Carl Jensen from the Mile High Five podcast. If you're wondering, hey, Carl Jensen, sounds like Mindy's husband, Carl Jensen. You're right. It's my husband. We're going to talk to them about how they handle their... Well, that sounds weird. We're going to talk to them about the different ways that each of them handle finances in their relationship and how David handles finances in his relationship too, because there really isn't one right way to handle your finances. Yeah. And we're... As you'll hear on the show, we are all very different. Yep. And I think it's, I think we kind of cover the gamut. We've got completely 
separate, completely together, and kind of a mix, trying to figure it out. Today we're joined by the hosts of the Mile High Fi podcast, Doug Cunnington, husband of the lovely Elizabeth, and Carl Jensen, husband of the lovely me. My co-host today is David Perret, who is married to the lovely Kimberly. We have three different couples represented on this podcast today with three different ways to handle their finances. And while there's no one right way to do it, we're going to discuss these three different ways to handle finances within a relationship. So everybody knows that Carl and I have combined our finances. We don't really have to go into a lot of detail there. What I earn goes into a pot. What he earns goes into the same pot. And then all of our expenses come out of that pot and investments and whatever. Doug, let's look at how you and Elizabeth handle your financial situation. So we are pretty much 100% separate. So I don't know if it matters much, but we got married when we were about 30 or so. So we had things going on on our own. We already each had our own house and expenses and we were managing our budget individually. And it just seemed easier to do that. Now, before we started recording, I did ask Elizabeth, is it okay if I mention this? She gave the approval and she actually told me that uh, she didn't trust my financial savvy when we first got married. So she was like, I don't want to combine our finances. You may mess it up. She used different words, but you may mess it up. So we just managed it separately. I wasn't really making any huge mistakes, but I had a little credit card debt, a little student loans, very, very much within reason. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't combine anything and we just left it the way it was. The good part, once we joined households, um, we did sort of separate the expenses that would come in. So she would pay for the mortgage and I would cover like a bunch of other stuff like cell phone or utilities or groceries or whatever. So it roughly comes about even. And the kind of remarkable thing is our net worth has kind of tracked together um, almost exactly. So it's it's almost a 50-50 split. Just magically, it worked out that way. But that's sort of how we divide things up. I have a question for you, Doug. We recently had someone on the podcast who also divided their finances. And one of them, the the male who we, we were interviewing had a very high paying job and his wife did not. And he was talking about becoming financially independent. And he said, oh, this is just going to be about me. And in the course of the interview, he even mentioned giving his wife a loan. I don't remember the details. Maybe she was going back to school. But I thought maybe if you negotiated all that ahead of time, you might be okay with that situation. You agreed to it going into the marriage. But how would you deal, like your situation is is pretty good because you're both on equal footing. But if one person made a lot more than the other, do you think this could lead to friction? And I think about this with Mindy and I too, if we had divided our finances, it would get hairy because she stayed home with the kids. So she gave up her career and I continued to work. Have you ever thought about that? If, if your two situations were drastically different, you don't have kids and you have pretty much equal net worth. So right. it's not as difficult. Um, yeah, hundred percent. That definitely would have caused friction. Even if we, unfortunately, even if we probably agreed to it ahead of time, it still would end up like one of us would feel like, oh, I, I worked, I earned this money. I should have a little bit more of a say, just knowing that 
we're humans and um, flawed, like we all are, but perhaps we're a little more flawed than others. I'm not, I'm not sure, but yeah, it definitely would have caused some friction. Okay, so I think this is important. Carl mentioned that there are no children in your relationship. How long have you guys been married? About 13 years. Okay, and there is no plans for kids? Correct. Okay, so what is, let's talk about income. What is, is there any income disparity? Do you make approximately the same? Because Carl and I definitely had huge income disparity. He says I gave up my career. I didn't give up squat. All I did was fund our 401ks when I was working. So it was not difficult to uh, stay home with the kids. Plus, I wanted to stay home. But this isn't about me, Doug. This is about you. Yeah, we were pretty much um, equal salaries for a little while. And then when I started my own business, it grew a little bit more. But, you know, it's still in the same ballpark-ish. Um, but yeah, again, when I started my own business, then I wasn't like held back by the normal normal like corporate structure and salaries and stuff like that. But um, yeah, for a long time, pretty much even. I got a question. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know if there's a way for me to say this that doesn't sound sexist. So let's just pretend that it isn't a question that sounds that way. But I'm curious, Doug. So... And you'll, you'll understand the context for me asking this question more as I dig into my story. But uh, did you have, like, how did you feel when your now wife, I don't remember if she said it when you guys were getting married or already married, was like, I don't really trust you to run our finances, so I don't want to mix them. Like, because I grew up in a household that was very, like, everything's together and traditional. And again, we'll kind of unpack as I talk through my journey, but we were together and then apart and now kind of a combination. And when we made that split to run things separately, I mean, it, it is still to this day, something that's hard for me to, uh, internalize as a man. So I'm just curious if that was a hard conversation for you. Yeah, I, I don't think so. And I I was going to say, usually, uh, I'll hold a grudge. (laughs) So like, I I would probably (laughs) remember if I had an issue with it, but I think I also have, you know, pretty thick skin. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Like, we'll see how it goes. I guess I felt confident enough that I did have my act together. And I was like, oh, if you don't believe in me, I mean, I believe in myself, that's okay. But I didn't take it um, in an odd way because it was personal. I didn't take it personal <laughs> for some reason. But yeah, that totally, that completely makes sense. And it actually, you reminded me of like one other one other aspect. And I'm, I'm curious for everyone, like, because we both manage our own finances and then are combined, we have a very good understanding of what's going on, like full, like the big picture, our individual finances as well. So like we both have uh, just a little bit more involvement. So yeah, I'm curious with the other uh, scenarios with the combined finances, is it kind of delegated and one person worries about the finances and then the other one doesn't worry as much? Yeah, I would say that's very much the case with us. And it's, it's. I don't think it's anything we ever consciously decided on. It's just that I enjoy the investment part of it. And I enjoy looking at the credit card statements. Uh, I think there's something wrong with me after saying that. But <laughs> dork. Yeah, I'm a super dork. I enjoy spreadsheets and I enjoy looking at that. But I report back to you uh, probably a little bit more than Mindy would enjoy. Like, hey, this investment is this, or Tesla is this, or here's what VTI did today. And she's like falling asleep while we're going for a walk. But it's just our natural delegation. I think there's a lot of trust in there too. We've we've known people actually who have fully admitted 
hiding money from spouse, their spouse or lying about what they pay. And that's just not us. We just haven't cared. If, if either of us do make a big purchase, we tell each other about it. And it's not so much asking for permission. It's just out of respect. I'm trying to think of, and I'm usually the bigger spender there. What's something that I've spent a lot of money on? I, I can't. Bikes, bicycles. Oh, bicycles, yeah. Yeah. Tesla. Um, yeah. So I have spent some money, but I always ask you, I run it by you and make sure it's okay. Uh-huh. Did, did, did you uh, recently purchase a car and then talk to me about it? No, we had talked about that for a long time and we placed an order, which is perfectly, we can cancel it at any time and, and not go through with the purchase of the car. So I'm Wait, not what sure. is this? Is this hot news off the press? What's going on? So after the tax credit, there's an EV tax credit. I'm like, oh man, if we buy a Tesla, we can get like $7,500 back. You have to game it. So it shows up in 2023. Um, both our current cars have 200,000 miles on it. So I'm thinking we will probably need a car. It's a future point. So I placed an order for a Model Y. A Roadster. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. I, I kind of do want that if it wasn't $300,000. And it's got back seats. We could take the kids in there. I saw one in oh, person in uh, Peterson cool, Auto yeah. Museum. But but yeah, I don't know if we'll actually pull the trigger on it. And if and I talked to you. I changed the color because of Mindy. I had opted for the cheap color. But you were definitely involved in the decision. And I can cancel it if we don't want to. The way that conversation went was, hey, I placed an order for a Tesla. I can cancel it if you want. Like, I don't care. Maybe now you won't talk about it so much, even though I know he will talk about it even more. <laughs> Should we change the this podcast to just Tesla talk? No, no. I don't want to talk about Tesla. Thus ends the end of our Tesla. What's the what's the PE today? Uh so Doug, that was a that was an interesting question. I think there are people, uh I think there are couples who will take equal responsibility, but I think for the most part it is one person is is more um obsessed with checking the credit card statements every single morning when they get up, which is their prerogative. It's not something I'm obsessed with. I will shout out Carl because one time he found a fraudulent charge the next morning and we were able to cancel the card. That's really awesome. Um, But I don't want to check my credit card statement every month. Also, because he is so obsessed with it, I don't have to. He will come to me and say, hey, what is this charge? I'm like, I don't know. Oh, wait, that's this thing. I mean, now we don't have to because we have our spending tracker. So he can just look at what we've put into the spending tracker and see, oh, that's a real thing. Uh, But for the most part, he is so obsessed with it that I don't have to be super obsessed. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have literally daily conversations about money and investing. And he's not kidding when he says we're going on walks and he's talking about it. He is. He's like, oh, let me tell you about this. It's usually Tesla. It's very, very rarely any other company. But still, like we talk about it. Doug, how does it work with you and Elizabeth? Are you guys investing together? Are you investing separately? Is there a hybrid situation there? It is uh, separately. And we both adopt... uh, index funds. So we have a different blend of, uh, you know, stocks versus bonds and just kind of different levels of uh, risk tolerance and capacity and that sort of thing. So I feel like it works out pretty well, but we, um, yeah, we do it individually. And I think every now and then Elizabeth will get an individual stock, but it's a very, very small percentage of the net worth. So almost, you know, not even worth mentioning. 
Do you ever compete? Do you ever brag about your balances or your spending or anything like that? I, you know, I try to, but I'm, I'm always uh, losing. So I, I stopped <laughs> uh, doing that. You know, I learned my lesson. <laughs> so Doug, I'll flip that back to you. Since you're separate financially, do you ever run purchases past each other? Or is it, this is my money, I can do whatever I want, and I never have to check in? We do run it past each other. Um, recently, I'm not sure if you can see in the video, but I have a couple guitars in front of me. So in the last year or so, I've been buying more guitars. And I actually, I was like, I want to get one. And actually, I, I sort of went behind her and told her after I won the auction. And that, that was actually very bad. However, uh, we made up and everything's good. And I got another guitar, like she was in the shop with me. And I was like, I, I'm kind of interested in this. Maybe we could check it out. And yes, we do run stuff past each other. And I thought my, I thought the threshold for discussion was um, higher, but it's much lower than I expected. Hence the issue with the, the uh, first guitar there. <laughs> oh, when you say threshold for discussion, you mean if it costs X number of dollars or higher, we need to discuss it before you buy it. Yep. And there's no f like formal agreement. I don't have to submit a, a, a form <laughs> to get approval or anything, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's like any, probably anything over like 150 bucks or something, anything that would be sort of out of the ordinary. It's like, Hey, I was thinking of getting this thing and, you know, kind of, kind of like you guys, it's out of respect, which I think that's why I ran into the issue when I was like, Oh yeah, I won an auction for a guitar that I wasn't expecting. So, um, surprise. I, I could cancel it if I need to or change the color. No, just kidding. But um <laughs> so so I have one follow-up question for you, Doug, about this whole separation. Does it transcend day-to-day -day life? You keep your finances separate. So how do you decide who pays for a vehicle? I, I know you've got your own separate vehicles in this case, but well, let's go with toilet paper. Uh, do, you, do you divide that up or it's a percentage of usage. So I, I use way more than she does. So I, I do have to pay more for the toilet paper. Now for um, for a car, I'm not sure when we haven't purchased a new car in a while, um, but she, she did pay for her car the last time that she uh, snagged one. And yeah, for future uh, purchases like that, I, I expect we would probably split it. I'm not 100% sure though. So that would be a whole negotiation process, I'm sure. How do you decide who pays what bills or how much of each bill? We sort of divided it up so that it's roughly equal on the expense side. So Elizabeth covers uh, the mortgage and then I cover pretty much everything else which goes on credit cards or it's, um, you know, withdrawn from my checking account. So that includes like groceries, a cell phone bill, utilities, a random other expenses and like our gen we have a credit card that we share. So that's probably important to mention a credit card that we do share and I pay for that. So that's how it roughly ends up close to even, I may be paying like a little bit more, but you know, it's, it's fine. It's just maybe a few, few percent higher. Okay. And then um, you mentioned one credit card that you have together. Do you have any bank accounts that you'd share together or is it like, except for that credit card, just completely separate? Uh, completely separate, except for the one credit card. Uh, let's go to David, who has kind of a different scenario because he was in the military for a while, uh, like a really long time, and physically separated from his wife for long stretches. David, how do you and Kimberly handle your finances? Yeah, so that's actually changed a lot over the years. So when we when we first got married, uh, you know, I was active duty Marine, and I had 
a duplex. And so, uh, you know, uh, we, we had everything together. We had pretty much the same income. She was a high school counselor. I was a military enlisted dude. Um, and everything was joint and it was whatever nobody cared. And, and honestly, that was probably good. Cause she's very good with finances. She's conservative. She doesn't spend a lot of money. And I'm, uh, I think a byproduct of growing up in a household that was like that. And so now when I have money, I'm like, Ooh, I can buy the name brand version instead of the, you know, I don't know. Uh, and so that worked out well for a while. And then what happened was, you know, we lived together. We were stationed in Hawaii for three years. I got orders to California. I was planning, I was looking at getting out of the military. She couldn't find a good job in California. She got a job offer from her old high school and the kids, it just made sense logically to have her relocate back while I spent the last 18 months exiting the military. Uh, I could focus all in on the business and she could, you know, get her career going again and, and settle down with the kids and everything. Uh, a note for anyone thinking of doing this terrible idea as far as your actual relationship goes. Logically, it was great. Like I achieved financial freedom, left the military, I'm home, I don't have a job, you know, yada, yada, yada. But uh, the relationship is 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 still healing from being apart that much. Now, we planned on seeing each other a lot more and then COVID happened. So kind of it was a weird year and a half, two years. But during that time, I had started buying a lot more real estate and reinvesting everything back into the the online platform and the business and all this other stuff. And I guess my wife kind of started to feel as though her income was going into this pot. And then if there was leftovers, I was spending it on the business. And in my head, I was like, we're growing this thing. It's going to be great. And in her head, what is she even working for? And, and I, as all good husbands missed all of the hints around that. Uh, and until it wasn't until the day that she was like, Hey, I got my own bank account and my account, my checks going there that I realized that there was a problem. Um, and that was actually really rough for me. Like I mentioned, like, I mean, partially ego, but partially like I just felt, uh, and I've told her this, like I, we were not in a great spot. And so when she made that change without saying anything, like I kind of took it as like, okay, are the divorce papers coming? Like what else? Like what, like this is to me was a huge, uh, I won't say betrayal, but it was something we should have talked about uh, beforehand. And so I was not cool with that. And we butted heads on finances for a while because I just felt like that was, uh, could have been communicated better. But then at the same time, I didn't list, I didn't pay any attention to the hints. So, you know, uh, so we were separate completely up until about four months ago and about, Actually, it might have even been two months ago. It's not very long. Um, finally sat down and said, look, I understand that you're much more conservative. She doesn't like the debt. She doesn't like all my you know, high leverage real estate and all of that. So we kind of just came to the terms of like, okay, why don't we set up a joint account and we pay all of our personal bills out of the joint account and we come up with a number that is fair, you know, whether that's a 50-50 or a 40-60 based on our incomes and everything else. And we put, we each contribute to that joint account every month. And that joint account covers the mortgage, all the primary residence expenses, the cars, the insurance, the, you know, anything and everything. I think the only thing that's not in there right now is health insurance because I forgot to calculate it. Um, so like every, I say that because it's still military health insurance, so it's very cheap and it's not a, it's not like most people's, uh, bill that you wouldn't forget. So, uh, and so like everything goes into this pot, we each contribute, you know, thousand, twelve hundred dollars a month, whatever it goes in there. 
Uh, all the bills get paid out. She has control of the checkbook, which she likes and she feels very comfortable with. And I like because I don't care about the details and we just put everything on auto pay and hope that they tell me if I missed a payment. Um, so, so she gets to, uh, I don't even have login for the account. I just don't care, but I'm like, here, I'll contribute my money and you pay all the bills. And, uh, but it feels good because we're, we're doing joint on all of that stuff. And then whatever's left over from what she puts into the joint account, she spends and, I would say the same for me, but the reality is that like whatever's left over basically gets pummeled into businesses um, or, or, you know, rolled back into stuff. And I don't know that I've, I actually, my accountant got mad at me the other day because I'm an S corp now. And apparently that means you're supposed to pay yourself. And I haven't been. So she's like, what are you even doing? I'm like, oh, I guess I need to find a salary for myself in here. <laughs> um, but it's just so easy to write everything off. So, so yeah, so that's kind of where we're at now is like, kind of come like we all of our expenses are paid joint and we're gonna eventually the plan is to also have an emergency fund and a uh like vacation or you know boat or whatever fund uh in that joint account and then everything else will just be completely however much you want to make however much you want to spend okay let's just for context context share the amount of real estate debt that you have right now it's not like one mortgage uh, it's uh yeah like somewhere around four million probably five million okay so she's i can see a lot more of her side to this story knowing that number and knowing you know she's saying i'm you know wow this is i feel weird about our money and you're like ah, it's fine you know it's fine (laughs) but she doesn't know it's fine and she hears you saying this so like, I get where she's coming from. What it boils down to, though, is communication. Like, Doug and Elizabeth communicated when they were getting married. Hey, let's do separate finances. Then there's no question. I actually don't think Carl and I communicated. I think it was just like, when we get back from our honeymoon, I'll put my name on your checking account because all you already have bill pay out of everything. And I don't. So I could just close mine and it's no big deal. Do you remember that, Carl? Yeah, I, I think we did have one conversation about money, and it did not go well. Do you know what I'm referring to? <laughs> yeah, here I we go. You. And I know you've since changed your mind on this topic, but I brought up the idea of a prenup, and you were not thrilled. That is not even the right way to say that. I was so offended that he would just assume that our marriage was going to end by bringing up this prenup. That I was like, if you ask me again, we will not get married. No, we're not getting a prenup. Also, in my defense, we had like a dollar in net worth. We didn't have anything to to protect. And that was way before David and I recorded episode 301 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast with Aaron Summers, the author of a really awesome prenup book called The Prenup Prescription, where he describes how prenups aren't about money. They're like a guide to how you kind of handle your relationship. It's not just about money and how you're going to split it up if you get a divorce. It can be about pretty much anything you want. It's like a guide for how your marriage is going to go. So that was, um, and when we were recording with Aaron, I absolutely changed my mind about the prenup. But unfortunately, 20 years ago, Aaron wasn't around. Well, he was, but not by us. And I, yeah, that was the one time we did talk about money beforehand. Although there were some context clues where we were both cheap and we knew it. So you can can pick out the cheapies. I was going to plug that prenup episode as well. That thing blew my mind. And that's partially why we set up the joint account. Uh, The other thing, so when my wife 
doesn't necessarily feel the financial security with our situation, which, which will get a lot better once I kind of, I think I've mentioned on the show, but I, I kind of got dug into a hole with a project manager that wasn't, I'm over budget on some projects. And so I've had to lay more capital into them than I wanted. And it'll all come back once they finally sell. But once that happens and I have no more personal debt, it'll be a lot easier because uh, it'll just be the real estate and that'll feel more secure. Um, but the other thing is she's a high school counselor. She's on salary. She gets paid. She has bills. It's very fixed. It's very secure. It's very stable. I do wholesaling. Well, I don't anymore, but I was doing some wholesaling. I was doing some house flipping. I'm buying apartments. I'm selling, you know, like my income is ridiculous. Like if you look at my like tracker, like I broke a two months ago, I think it was the most gross revenue I've ever brought in without like considering the sale of a business. It was like 90 something thousand dollars. And then I spent like all but 4,000 of that in the same month on other things. And so like, if my, like if people were to look at, you know, I'm one of those guys where it actually makes sense to have a line of credit to run everything through because like one month I'll make, you know, tons of money and have no bills and the next month it'll be the exact opposite. And so I have to have a way to like stabilize it. And so I can understand why, you know, it's like everything's always ticking up to the right, but it's a stressful way to do it because it's not stable. It's not secure. And there are definitely months where you're like, oh my gosh, where's the next check coming from? And then there are months where you're like, what am I supposed to do with all this? Where do I put it? And so it's, it's a weird game. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? 
I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. I've got a comment and a question. So Doug and Elizabeth have very similar finances and probably similar goals. They do the same thing with their money. They do index funds. You would say that, correct? You're, you don't do any exotic stuff. Yep. Now, now, David and his wife are very different. You've got your commingled account for the common expenses. But but David, let's just say, and I think this probably will happen, you absolutely kill it with real estate. And in 10 years, you've got some eight-figure net worth and your wife still has her job as a social worker. Will that cause, have you thought about that or will that cause any tension? How do you plan for that? Like you could be living on a yacht on some bay in Hawaii and she's got this job that, yeah. How do you reconcile that? That's one of the things I think we're hashing out in conversations uh, with the counselor as we're trying to get, you know, back to living in the same, you know, in step after me moving back in. Uh, you know, she grew up, she is the daughter of a farmer and they raise cattle and they might have gone on vacation once when she was growing up and they're very... You know, I, I'm like, I'm going to travel the world. We're going to do all these things. And she's like, you can go do that. I'll be here. And, uh, you know, she doesn't really, that's not her thing. And so, uh, there have been some, uh, as we've come to more realizations of that, like, Hey, my income's increasing and I have the ability to go do these things and, and you don't really want to, like, how does that work? Um, uh, I don't know that there's going to be any animosity. I think it's just a matter of trying to find the, the balance for like, okay, well, I'm going to stay home this much. And, uh, you know, she's. I mean, she could, she could stop working and she just enjoys her job. So it's kind of a weird, you know, I mean, she's happy, she's content. She wants to be kind of a homebody and I'm totally okay with that as long as I also get to do the other things. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're working through that. Ask me again in like five years and I'll, I'll give you a way better answer. I'm sure. <laughs> Does Kimberly invest? She has the school, uh, whatever, like 403B or whatever the, whatever the school's version is. Outside of that, I don't know. Not really. Um, I mean, the primary residence, I guess you could consider an investment because of how, how well that area is done. Um, 
and and I, I I I lie. We have ten head of cattle, and so you could consider that an investment because they do they do pay dividends in stake, and they do actually pay for themselves. So, uh, and they pay for the back five acres we bought. So, um, oh. you know, we probably bring in I don't know four or five thousand dollars a year in in cattle and uh, deep freeze full of beef. So it's great. Uh, let's see. Oh, how long have you been married? Six years, six and a half years. Okay. And you have two children. Yes. Uh, five and 13. Okay. So. For those of you doing the math, yes, the 13 is a stepson in case you, know, you can't <laughs> figure out how I. <laughs> He's also like three inches taller than me and it's great. <laughs> okay. So how, how do you decide who pays which bill or is everything pulled from that one joint account? Yeah, everything's pulled from that one joint account, and I want absolutely nothing to do with any of it. She loves balancing checkbooks. She likes writing checks and balancing a checkbook, and I'm like, I don't want a checkbook for that account. Put it on auto pay and call me if there's a problem. Like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to deal with it. Out of sight, out of mind. Uh, but she likes, she enjoys, you know, remembering that there's a bill due on this day and writing the check and doing the balancing. And I'm like, you just take over all of that and tell me if I need to contribute more to the account. I don't care. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Since you're sort of separate and sort of together, do you run purchases past each other or is it just kind of a free for all? Yeah. So, uh, Doug's wife would probably kill me if she saw some of the value purchases that I've made without any, like even bringing it up when I, when I was thinking your threshold, like I had a zero tacked on to where you were saying, like, I think this is the, when you voiced the threshold, I was like, Oh, I see why my wife doesn't like how I run things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, so I, do, I mean, we run things by each other, but the problem is that, you know, 80% of what I buy is, is a justifiable business write-off. Like if I'm buying a new camera lens, okay, that's a business write-off. If I'm buying a drone, that's a, you know, and so I'll go and spend, I bought, I bought a $300 drone the other day and like I was at the house paying cash for the drone and my wife's like, oh, how much is that? I'm like, oh, I just spent, you know, it's like, it, I don't, so it's when it comes to like personal stuff or uh, things that could affect each other, we absolutely talk through everything. And when it comes to groceries, we we buy those together. And when it comes to to fuel, you know, we we help each other with that and all of those things. But when it comes to spending money inside of the business or spending money on uh, like the day to day to keep things afloat on my end, I don't really know that she cares at all uh, as long as I don't bankrupt myself in the process. Carl, you want to share our situation? Yes. Yeah, so we. All the money goes into the same pot, and I manage it. I control the investments, and I pay all the bills. Uh, there's really not that much more that goes into it. I've never really considered it. I think we have a big part of this is having the same values and the same goals, and not that you necessarily have to have them. I'm thinking about you, David, but we do. So in our case, it works really well, and we also have really good communication. I feel and trust. Uh, you had you came home from the thrift shop. Uh, Doug and I were just talking about clothes, and you had that jacket. I don't some designer. I don't get into fashion except for Costco fashion. Oh, Michael Kors. Yeah, that that sounds fancy. Is that related to the beer company Kors? No. Okay, okay, but it is. How much would that jacket have cost new, and how much did you pay for it? I think it's like a five hundred dollar jacket. It's like an overcoat, winter overcoat. 
Um, but I found it at the Goodwill bins and it was $1.50 a pound. So what, maybe three or five dollars? Right. So explain what the Goodwill bins are. You buy your clothes by the pound? You buy your clothes by the pound. They just take boxes and all the stuff that you donate that's like, I don't know, I think it's overage. They dump it into these four foot by eight foot tables on wheels that are about six inches deep. And it's just, I think they separate it into like clothing and soft goods like blankets and things and everything else. So at this particular place, I got a few, I got some clothes, I got a snowboard, a pair of skis, um, some glassware, a globe. It's just the most random, you know, you go into a Goodwill, look at all the weird stuff that's in there. Um, and yeah, this, this coat was $1.50 a pound. And I'm so excited. It's so nice. So I think we're both super frugal and that helps out a lot. I mean, uh, car order aside, our newest cars from 2010, it has like 200,000 miles on it. We just don't care. We're, we're DIY people and we just don't spend a lot of money in day-to-day life. Uh, I trust you with the shopping and you trust me with the finances. In that regard, I will say that we're more like David Perret in that we spend a lot of money on real estate stuff. We do spend money on real estate. It's fun to spend money on. Yeah. But that's going to bring money back. So I don't mind spending 500000 on a spontaneous house purchase, which we just kind of did. It's like a high yield savings account. Oh, so I have a question for you guys. So you, you just took the big trip to Germany, right? And that was pretty expensive. And you mentioned you're both frugal. Like, was that tough spending like that much money? I know. Yes. The flights were a little expensive and you just don't know how much things are going to cost over there. So yeah, how was it? Uh, I bought the tickets and I will say that I, oh God, we have to give some context here. So our oldest daughter was going to Germany as part of a school trip. The school trip was arranged through EF Tours and EF Tours takes a lot of kids on these school trips. So the rules don't apply to them. Like they can book their Uh, airfare, you know, three minutes in advance and it's fine. They ended up, it was three weeks before the trip, they booked their airfare. And for those of you who don't book international travel a lot, three weeks ahead of time is not enough time to really get a great deal. So we didn't get any sort of great deal. We paid like the price and it was, I don't know, the most that you have to pay. It was $6,000 for three round trips from Denver to Germany and another extra trip back home because the older daughter was riding home with us instead of with her school trip. Cause we were extending. We, she went there and then we went there a week later. Um, it was really hard to spend $6,000 on this, these trips. I would have loved to put it on a credit card so I could get points. Like, I mean, I put it on a credit card, but not like Lufthansa credit card to get extra points. And I couldn't shop around because it was either go or go. And I couldn't, um, like there was a city that I had to go to. I couldn't look around for, you know, nearby cities. It was just, I felt a lot of pressure to do this only one way. So in that respect, there was no flexibility. And that part really bothered me. But if you take a a zoomed out look, does that $6,000 ding our finances? No, not, not even a little bit. So 
it's hard to zoom out and think of it from that context, but yeah, it was, you know, once I do zoom out and think about that, I like, I'm not still obsessing about it, even though I just talked for 10 minutes about how much it cost me to (laughs) go to Germany for a week. But I mean, once we were there, prices were fairly reasonable. Don't you think, Carl? Yeah. It surprised me by how not bad it was. The hotels were a little bit more because it's a very popular time to travel. But yeah, the food wasn't that bad. The the beer is cheaper than water, which was a glorious discovery. (laughs) That's strange. Oh, that's wonderful. Bottled water is like $2 and a beer is $1.80. Yeah. I I think the way I look at these things now is we'll, we'll always be frugal, but we're frugal so we can spend money on things where it really matters. And I think that trip was great. I I wouldn't take it back for anything. It was awesome. David, let's talk about saving for college. I know you have two kids and I know that you have the uh, GI bill available for your kids. Are you saving anything additional? And if so, how is that split between your, you and your wife? Yeah. So we're kind of in a, you know, that's, that's honestly, so the theme of this has kind of been that we had some financial struggles, not, not necessarily financial struggles, but relationship struggles, revolving finances, which honestly is, you know, financial struggles is one of the main reasons people struggle with relationships. So it makes sense. Uh, And we've started to come back together and we're, you know, I'm working to pay off personal debt so that we feel more secure. And I think the conversation around college and f- more investing stuff uh, will come more in depth down the road. Currently, what we have so so we joint we have we each have a, t- a term life policy, which will you know if something happens to either one of us, will be covered during that time frame. Uh, outside of that, uh, I took, I guess we took uh, all of the. Uh, I can't even think of the name stimulus checks uh, over the last two years. Uh, the we we did buy a four wheeler with part of the leftovers, but you know that's a that's a write off because we have cattle, so it's an ag write off, ag expense on a farm. Um, outside of that, every dollar from the stimuluses went into uh, VTSAX UTMAs for both of the boys, and so there's you know ten thousand dollars in each of those and and growing, and I contribute a uh, couple hundred bucks a month to each of them. Uh, so those not necessarily a college fund, but a fund that they'll have when they get to that age. And then I've kind of earmarked uh, nothing like what Brandon did, where it's like, I bought a fourplex for Rosie and, and I'm going to do, you know, I, I just kind of have earmarked two properties and said, Hey, when they get old enough, they can, we can talk through selling one of these or whatever. And that'll be kind of their emergency fund for that. Uh, yeah. As long as I don't mess anything up timing wise with the military, uh, my kids will be able to, I'll be able to tra- well, I, have transferred, but, uh, they'll be able to use my GI bill. Um, if not, I'll use it. And just the money that I would be making in housing allowance, I'll put into a fund for them for college. So the GI bill is huge. The other thing though, is, uh, not to go down the rabbit hole of veteran benefits, but you know, I, I'm (laughs) technically I'm a disabled veteran. I hate that term. Um, but you know, I, I do receive disability pay and there's a few issues that are getting, revamped with that. And I'm at 80% and the issues that are essentially, theoretically, I'll hit the 100% disability metric. I mean, I've got some some things that whatever, we we could ramble. The world doesn't need to hear all of Dave's brokenness. But uh, if I get to 100%, my kids will qualify for 
grants for school as well. So I think it's like $1,200 or $1,250 a month through chapter. I'm going to mess all this up. It's either chapter 34 or chapter 31 benefits. Um, you can tell how much I've researched this because it doesn't apply to me yet. So why, why waste the time researching it? But essentially it will pay enough to cover state tuition for them in the state. Uh, and the reality though, is that I, you know, I can't say that either of them is going to go to school. I don't know. Um, the older one is, very much like me in the fact that he doesn't really like school and was athletic and he, I, I could see him doing trade school uh, before college. Uh, younger one seems smart, but he's five. So who knows? Right. You know, as of this week, he wants to be a chef because then he can cook his own hot dogs. So <laughs> Costco food so. court. Yeah. So, so I don't know that that answers your question at all. Uh, other than that, it's, Hey, it's, it's a conversation that we're getting to where we're comfortable enough having that, uh, conversation, but we do have some safety nets. Yeah. Well, and you've got some time, um, but and school's going up every year, but something that we didn't really discuss a lot now is the enormous benefits of the military and the GI bill. And you transferred 1% to each of your children on the chance that they would go to school, then you could transfer more. So you could 50-50, you could discover that, you know, the young one is going to go to chef school and he needs the whole thing while the older one went to trade school or whatever, uh, that we do need trades. We are down a lot in the trades. And <sighs> Tinian Crawford on, I think, episode 41, shared his experiences of getting his two-year associate's degree in just six short years by because he also did not like school but you go you graduate from high school and then you go to college and that's what you do and that's what he did and he's like I hated it and now he's an electrician working for himself and he's so busy he can't like his book is filled forever so if you don't want to go to college then don't because it's not the right path for everybody and I guess there's one other piece to this puzzle too uh in Missouri they have what's called the a plus scholarship and I don't know all the wickets. You have to have a certain attendance. You have to do a certain amount of volunteer hours and basically be an, a decent student in Missouri. Uh, and as long as you meet those wickets, you qualify for it. And it is basically two free years at tech school. Uh, so the state will – so you could go to Ozark Technical College here in town and go for two years for free if you qualify for the A-plus scholarship. So a lot of people will get that scholarship and then they'll transfer to Missouri State for their last two years or whatever. Uh so I guess the unspoken part of our plan is my wife is a counselor in the high school. And so our kids are going to do what they need to do to qualify for that scholarship because she's going to make sure of it. <laughs> so, you know, that's always a good backup. Nice benefit. So, yeah, definitely worth knowing your local like state stuff because there's a lot of cool programs at different states. Yeah, that's a good tip. That's a really good tip. Um, Doug, you don't have children. So this is going to be a pretty short Question for you, how are you saving for college? You're not. Carl, <laughs> this is very interesting. What if Doug has like a half a million dollars in a fund right now? And he's like, oh no, it, we are ready. <laughs> no, there's Doug, nothing. tell it, me all about your... It does make FI much easier. The math is far easier to make it work out with no kids. So just plug for that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Carl... We, all four of us on this episode, have the benefit of, or have something in common, we have all saved the exact same amount for my children's college, which is $0. <laughs> Even though Carl and I talk about money all the time, and we both have podcasts about financial independence, we have saved nothing for our kids' college. Why is that, Carl? I remember looking into 529 plans. I didn't like some of the restrictions around them, so that's one reason. 
A second reason, kind of along the lines of what David said, is I think college is overrated. I remember when I was a kid, my mom always telling me, you're going to go to college. And it turns out I was the first one to go and I graduated and it was great, but I ended up doing something that had no tie to biology and chemistry, which I studied. I think I think college is overemphasized. I think there's such a need for, like if you really want to make money, uh, become an electrician or an HVAC tech or something like that, go to school and start your own business. Uh, probably one of the most wealthy people I know in town here is a plumber. He's got his own business. There's such a need for that. And you don't need to go to school. Hell, even to become a computer programmer, which is what I did, you can go to a boot camp now. So you don't have to spend four years learning English and history and all the other stuff. You can just write code and have a really good job in a short amount of time. And I think the the third, well, the third reason is we have savings and we probably will help our children out. But I don't think it's our obligation to pay for them. I'm going to make sure if they want to go, I'm going to make sure they find a way to go. But I think there's nothing wrong with them having some skin in the game as well. I definitely had that when I was a student. I had all my skin in the game because no one paid for anything. And and my thought at the time was, well, if I'm paying for this, I'm going to make it really worthwhile. And I think there's some value in that for your kids. So no 529 plans, but we will help our children with whatever they decide to do. So I'm going to tag off of that and say my parents paid for all of my college and I did not have that same attitude towards college. College was probably not the best choice for me. Um, I am not a really great student. I did not really apply myself. It was more of uh, like fun. And I studied fashion design, which is not anything that I care about. So having that, if, it, if I would have had to have skin in the game, I might have chosen a different career or a different major where I was actually learning something. Um, I can sew really good, though. But yeah, I could sew really good before I went to school. Uh, with regards to the 529 plan, I need to clear something up. And I'm not, I'm still not sure where I got the information. We did look into 529 plans 100 years ago. And I am pretty sure that at the time we looked into it, the state of Illinois would only let you use their plan in Illinois. And if you didn't use it in Illinois, then you only got back what you put into it not any of the growth. I think that might have been the case. And this is, I'm talking 20 years ago. Maybe the plan has changed. Maybe I misread it. But this has somehow been associated with all 529 plans in my mind. So as I have said many times on this show, incorrectly, that you don't get any of the gains from the 529. That's not true. It turns out that if you invest in a 529 plan and then your child does not go to college, you simply pay a 10% penalty and you can take that money out. So um, I'm not actually sure about the taxes on that, if you pay taxes or if you don't pay taxes, if it just grows tax-free. It doesn't really sound like it would grow tax-free if you're going to take it out, uh, but we can look that up and let you know in our Facebook group, which can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. Okay, Doug, I would like to give you a moment to wrap up any thoughts that you have about this show and how uh, people in a relationship can handle their finances together or separate. I think it's uh, very personal and every everyone's relationship is different. And, you know, we, we have our various issues, communication, uh, trust with finances and all that stuff. We have figured out how to get to a spot where 
we feel pretty good, or at least I feel pretty good. I guess I have to double check with Elizabeth in the spirit of communication, but we're in a great holding pattern and it's been going for a little while. And, you know, I, I wouldn't judge uh, anyone for how they're handling their finances. But, you know, as you mentioned, David, I think, you know, finances are one of the the biggest issues that we have to figure out. And if there's discrepancies or like if you're moving in different directions, it could be extremely challenging. So, you know, everyone do do your best and, uh, you know, good luck. David, let's hear from you. Any final thoughts about how someone can handle their finances? Yeah, my thought is to go back to uh, oh, you put it on the notes for me. 301, episode 301. I don't know how you remember all these episode numbers, uh, but the prenup episode, because that's ultimately what led to me having the conversation with Kim to like, hey, here's a solution that would allow us to have separate and also have joint so that I feel better because we've got stuff together and we are doing things as a couple uh, from the emotional standpoint. And you feel better because you still have you have the ability to save money and know it's going to be there uh, or to spend money and not feel like you're taken away from the business. Um, so that prenup episode was, was great. Cause he talked about, he was the one who said, you know, Hey, I like the idea of having a joint account for expenses, a joint account for like travel and emergencies, and then two totally separate accounts. And you guys just spend that. And it is what it is. Um, and I thought that was good. So, I mean, I, ultimately I think the answer is, uh, you know, my personal belief on this, I think, is that it's much less important how you handle finances together per se than it is to have the conversation about where where your finances are before you get married. Um, because like Kim and I are super different, right? I am a I have a massive tolerance for risk. I am okay risking, you know, a, a whatever and taking on debt and and all of the calculated risks. And she's much more conservative. But we both came into the marriage with virtually no personal debt and we were, you know, cash flowing out of our W2s and and like we weren't hurting, right? She had I think like $11,000, no, not even left of personal or uh, student loans and I had a uh, car payment. Um but neither of us is like even with my, you know, crazy quote unquote spending habits like they're within reason. Um and they're within, you know, they're they're there's always leftovers at the end of the month and the net worth goes up. And so I think it's just important to know where you guys are before you get married. And then as long as you're having those communications through it, I think you'll be all right. I'm also the you know, youngest and most newlywed person on the show. So I could be way off on all this, but we'll find out in a decade. <laughs> no, I think you're spot on. Um, I think both you and Doug said communication is key. And Doug said it's very personal. How many times do you hear me every single episode say personal finance is personal? You don't have to do it the way that Mindy does it or Mindy and Carl. You don't have to do it the way that David does it or the way that Doug does it. You just have to do what works for you and your partner. And you both have to talk about it and come to an agreement. And then, you know, David, you said something very interesting. You said it has changed over the years. It doesn't have to be, oh, we agreed this one time. So that's it. That's all we're going to do. Have the conversations over and over again. All Carl and I do is talk about money and Tesla, which is money. Carl, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. David said something about how many marriages fail because of money. And I think that's true. But deep down, the underlying cause is probably values and how you apply money to your values. So if two people are together and they have vastly different values, uh, you better have good communication because if one person values eating at home and uh, – 
and the other person is more into travel or expensive cars, you better make sure you're on the same page and you communicate this and your partner is okay with it. So yeah, I think if there's any common theme for the for all of us, it's just you got to have communication. Man, I know you're making generalities, but I feel like you have been like just living in my house. You're like, oh yeah, one person likes to eat at home, Kim, and the other wants to travel the world and buy a Ferrari. Dave, I mean, you, you <laughs> nailed it right, right on the head. <laughs> if, if I buy a Tesla Roadster, I will share it with you. We could have some kind of shared custody agreement with it. I will That's 100%. my Tesla Roadster. I'll ride shotgun with you any day, Carl. Okay. Apparently, we have to give Mindy some time with it, too. But we're communicating with it now, so it's all good. You've got a back seat? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Get out, all of you. Okay. This has been a fantastic episode with Doug Huntington and Carl Jensen from the Mile High Five podcast. Doug and Carl, tell people where they can find you. Uh, MileHighFi.com is our website and YouTube forward slash Mile High Five podcast. Is that it, Doug? Yeah, if you just get to the website, there's links everywhere. It's on all the big podcast directories. You should be able to find it if you look for it. Yeah, milehighfi.com. Great. Thank you guys so much for your time today. From episode 332 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is David Perret, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, gotta go, friend. This has to end. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.